Good morning, America. This is Wayne Ahart speaking for the Old Glory Network podcast. Thank you for tuning in for another message of common sense values designed to make Old Glory great again. And I want to begin today's message with something that I have entitled The Wayne Ahart Story. And this is by a host of requests. Now, I never thought of myself as extra bright or smart, for that matter. I have always recognized that I was poorly educated, formally, that is. In fact, most people are much more educated than me. It never concerned me much because I knew that I had a lot of common sense. Plus, I have always possessed an abundance of confidence in my ability to do about almost anything I wanted to. And uh, most people refer to that as self-confidence. Well, I had it, and I still have it. I became friends with an attorney in Indianapolis, Indiana, who referred to my education, or lack thereof, as native intelligence. Now, he was also a former judge, so we kidded each other back and forth, and I referred to him as a good judge of character. I told him I wasn't completely uneducated, that I had finished the ninth grade, but then I got a Ph.D. in practical experience. Now, Ph.D. to me means piled higher and deeper through hard knocks, a few failures, and lots of success. And then I got a magna cum laude in hard work and the value of integrity. You know, ethics to me is worth more than a vault, a vault full of money. Now, if you throw all that in a sack and shake it up real good, mix a little salt in with it, shake it up real good, and bake it in the oven, man, you're going to have a loaf that will not only taste real good, but it will feed your family and many others for a lifetime. Then a whole lot of people are going to start thinking that you are really smart. Fact is, you are really smart. Life experiences made you that way. There is no teacher that can compare to experience. Now, like a good cook who has really, really good recipes and she follows them faithfully, never leaving out one single ingredient. You know, if you, if you leave something out, it's not going to be quite as good. And you're not going to seem to be as good a cook or as smart a businessman as you once were thought of. Now, the trouble with people is that they are always looking for a shorter or easier way to do something. So they begin to look for shortcuts. Shortcuts often give us a a rougher ride and often a longer, harder trip. 
Look, when you when you know the steps to success are good cooking, stick with the recipe or the well-worn path. When you decide to take a shortcut and leave out a step or two, your success may be in doubt or not nearly as great. And all of a sudden, people are not going to think you are so smart after all. Well, throughout my life, I have, I have tried to do every step that I thought would guarantee my success. You know what? It did. It worked. And now a lot of people think I'm really smart. I often get embarrassed at, at the way people talk about me, how smart they think I am. I'll chuckle a little to myself and think, if you only knew. The truth is, folks, that all I did was pay attention, was pay attention to what my bosses were teaching me, and then I tried to repeat them exactly as they taught and never leave a step out. In other words, no shortcuts. Now, I've had thousands of people working for me in my companies. No doubt many of them thought I was an idiot, and like they tend to think of all bosses, but many thought I was really smart. Now, some of them wanted to know how they could, how they could learn what I learned. And I explained to them that to learn what I learned, it would be necessary to do all the things I had done. For example, you, you would have to learn to plow following a horse at the age of eight. Eight years of age to eight to 12 years, I was plowing gardens for neighbors to make a little extra money. Then you would have had to hitchhike to Little Rock, Arkansas every day in the summer to sell newspapers on the street corners, beginning at age 12. Then late in the afternoons, when newspaper sales virtually ended, I then went to work for a donut shop in the afternoons. The owner designed a flat board that he, he had fixed some straps to that would go around my neck, and then he would pile that board full of donuts on, on the board, and I would walk through local businesses selling those donuts. Now, I can tell you that's the easiest product I ever sold. Donuts, man. Then around 5 p.m., I would then leave the donut shop and I worked in the kitchen of a drive-in restaurant making hot dogs, cleaning dishes, and mopping floors at closing time. Then about 9 p.m., I walked approximately eight blocks to the bus station and rode the bus about eight or nine miles to my home. Now, what I, what I learned doing those things was it was invaluable. I learned the importance of working, number one. I learned how to deal with people and that there was all kinds of people. There are honorable people and there are dishonorable people. There are hard workers and there are lazy ones. Some who wanted to help a hardworking kid like me and others who would take advantage of a kid like me. One of them who had been observing my work habits 
bought me lunch one day and peppered me with questions. And then he, he told me that he owned a lumber and a building supply company in North Little Rock, just over the river. He suggested that I should go to it and, and ask for the manager and tell him that you would like a job there. I think you could make more money than you're making and learn a whole lot. So I left selling newspapers and donuts and cleaning restaurants behind and went to work for Venable Lumber Company in North Little Rock. But I want to stress how much I learned from those earlier jobs. It was an important part of my overall education. You know that that PhD part that I mentioned? Now, if someone wanted to be like me, they would need that experience or some similar experience. Now, working at Venable Lumber Company was like going to college. I started out keeping the yards clean and helping customers load their purchases. And that was anything from nails to paint, lumber, sand, cement bags, sheetrock. And then by age 16, I was made manager of the paint department and they were beginning to teach me to read blueprints and how to list all of the supplies off of the blueprints that a job would need, whether it was a repair job or a remodeling job or a new house. Then I left school after finishing the ninth grade. And by 17, they had me bidding jobs at the lumber company. Uh, my boss treated me uh, as that, then that, that was Mr. Venable. He treated me like a son. And sometimes I, I invited me to go with him to political events where I met mayors and congressmen and the governor. And what he was doing was opening my eyes to the outside world and how important the actions at city halls and at state capitals and then in Washington, D.C., how important they were to the freedom of citizens and the risks and rewards of owning your own business. Now, Mr. Venable fully expected to turn the business over to me when he got ready to retire. But a different opportunity came calling to me. And one of my older brothers was working for a new life insurance company in Oklahoma City. And he called and said, man, this job I've got, I'm making more money than I ever made, and it's tailor-made for you. And he wanted me to come to Oklahoma City and be interviewed for a job with them. Well, I sure didn't want to do that. I thought I knew exactly what I wanted and uh, was happy doing it, but he insisted and I didn't want to turn him down, so I, I made a trip to Oklahoma City. I reluctantly did it, but it changed my life. I took a job as a commission-only agent's position. And by the way, I had immediate success. And then, you know, the sales business is pretty funny. I, I couldn't, I, I hit a, what they call a sales slump and I couldn't give it away. I went 13 weeks 
without making a sale. That's a quarter of a year, ladies and gentlemen, without income. That was more than a slump, I can tell you that. I, I was being tested like no other. And most salesmen, after three or four weeks, would have been gone. But I was determined to make it. And during that time, I had my car repossessed. I, I picked up pop bottles along the road and the highways to get money enough to buy milk for the baby. I had a beautiful little two-and-a-half-year-old girl and a brand-new baby boy. Now, my sales manager finally took pity on me and loaned me $200 to get my car back. Now, you might think, $200, that's nothing. Well, it's nothing today, but it was a lot back then. And my payments was about $75 a month, and I was three or four months behind. So I got my car back and my attitude improved and I drove to the next county, which is where my territory was, and I made a sale. And it was like I had won the Heisman Trophy. I never again, ladies and gentlemen, ever had another sales slump. I had been bitterly tested and I had passed. And then within about six months, they promoted me to zone manager, and I moved steadily up the ladder from that day forward. Now, we always had a sales meeting every Saturday morning in Oklahoma City, and one morning, the owner, Mr. Pope, asked me to stay after the meeting and have lunch with him. Now, he informed me that he had been observing my progress and the, the tenacity that I had shown, and my participation in the sales meetings. He then asked me what my, what my goals really were. What did I want to achieve and what I wish to accomplish with his company? Well, I looked him square in the eye and I said, well, I want to do just what you did. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I want to learn the business well enough to start my own company just like you. Well, he was pleased with that answer and said, okay, okay, I'll make, I'll make a deal with you. I will see to it that you are assigned duties in all the areas that you need to learn on the outside of the home office out in the field and help train people and open up new territories. Everything you'll need to know and then I will bring you into the home office and make sure that you get in on all of the operations of the company so that you'll know everything you need to start your own company. And then when you are ready, when you are ready to start your own company, I will help you as a partner. Well, boy, we shook hands on that right away, and we both left that meeting very well pleased, and I drove back home as if I were on a cloud. I truly felt like I already owned my own company. And, and ladies and gentlemen, it was not a trivial agreement. He meant what he said, and I meant what I said. And he did exactly as he promised, and I held up my end of the bargain. And 10 years later, he and I 
Oh, we had done some amazing things together, and I was ready to start my own company. Now, I had a problem. I didn't have any money because I'd been working all these different positions and not accumulating renewals and value. And, and so I was basically living month to month. And, and, uh, and so he took me downtown to Oklahoma City to the City National Bank and introduced me to the vice president. He told him what I was going to do to start my own company and how much money I would need for startup expenses. He said that he was going to put in the same amount that I would put in and that he would co-sign my note for my part. Wow, the deal was closed. And we were off and running. And I I paid the note off in installments. And about four years later, I was able to buy his percentage and paid him over five times what he put in originally. Hallelujah. It was good for him and good for me. Now, for those of you who think your life is ruined, if you don't go to college or if, even if you don't finish high school like me, I want to demonstrate what you can do or experience in a free country like America. You know, I... I got an indication that Indiana might be favorable to a new company's forming up there. And I went to Indianapolis and I walked the streets of Indianapolis, having never been there before or not knowing one single person. But I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I started my first company right there. And here are the list of some outstanding gentlemen that I put on my board of directors in the state of Indiana. George Doan, an attorney. Mike Kinney, a substantial realtor. George Martin, he was a farmer of the year in Indiana. I mean, farmer of the year in Indiana. Samuel H. Washburn, a big cattleman. He was a board member of the National Cattlemen's Association. Dr. William Elliott, he was the state's top cardiologist. And Dr. John Ryan, not a medical doctor. He was the president of Indiana University. Dr. Earl Butts, he was the agri-econ professor at Purdue University, and by the way, he had just finished being Secretary of Agriculture of the United States. He was on the President's Board. And C. James McCormick. Mr. McCormick owned a truck line. He was President of the American Truckers Association and the National Chairman of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And then one other, Chris Schinkel. Chris Schinkel was ABC sportscaster. He was the voice of college football, of horse racing, of golfing, of boxing, the Olympics, bowling, and much more. So that first company was very successful. And I started my second company in the state of Nebraska. And these are the leaders I put on that board. Herb Albers, Jr., cattleman. 
and president of the Nebraska Cattlemen's Association. Dr. Warren Bosley, an MD, and he was president of the Nebraska Medical Association. Merlin Carlson, cattleman, president of the National Cattlemen's Association. Coach Bob Devaney, he was the coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. He was a Hall of Fame member. Senator E.T. Johnson, cattleman, state senator, and a bank director. Stephen Sutherland, former state securities commissioner of the state of Indiana, and an attorney, and governor, Governor Charles Thone, former, immediate former governor of Nebraska and former congressman. And then Robert Simmons, an attorney, and was on the University of Nebraska Board of Regents. Then I started my third company in the state of Texas. Now, these are the leaders I put on that board. Robert Bliss, Cattle, National Cattlemen's Association board member. Mac Boring, Jr., in oil drilling. He owned the Dixieland Drilling Company. He was a board member of the Panhandle Eastern Pipeline and a bank director. And I had Coach Frank Broyles, Arkansas Razorbacks football coach. And, and Broyles was in the Hall of Fame and the national champion. Captain Eugene Cernan, astronaut, two moon missions. And still today is the last man on the moon. The last footprint on the moon is his. Then I had Robert H. Cutler. He owned a truck line, and he's the former president of the American Truckers Association. Then William M. King, securities attorney in Austin, Texas, former assistant attorney general, former FBI, former securities commissioner. And then Coach Tom Landry, oh man, Dallas Cowboys, a Hall of Fame coach. Coach Daryl Royal, Texas Longhorns, a national champion, a Hall of Fame member. Stoney Stubbs, truck line owner, former president also of the American Truckers Association. And Otis S. West the bank president of the of the Clayburg First National Bank in Kingsville, Texas, and a member, one of the three executive committee members that run the King Ranch operation. Then I started my fourth company in the state of Iowa. Now, these are the leaders I put on that board. Coach Hayden Fry, the Iowa Hawkeyes head coach and a Hall of Fame member, Rose Bowl champion, Big Ten champs, Roy Kepi, farmer and pork producer. He was president of the National Pork Producers Council. He was also president of the National Livestock and Meat Board. And Representative John Gregg, also a cattleman and National Cattlemen's Association board member. And then State Representative James Mullins. James was a cattleman, president of the National Livestock and Meat Board. Robert Rigler, banker, state senator, chairman of the Iowa Department of Transportation, chairman of the Iowa Department of Banking, and Stanley Scholerman, cattleman, director of the Iowa Department of Transportation. 
Orville Sweet, Executive Secretary of the National Pork Producers and former president of the National Pulled Hereford Association. Then I started my fifth company in the state of Arkansas. Now, these are the leaders I put on that board. Cecil Alexander, an executive with the Arkansas Power and Light Company, and he was former Speaker of the House of Representatives. Representative Richard Barkley is a CPA and a state representative and chairman of the Arkansas Department of Finance. Then Roy Ledbetter, the director of the Highland Industrial Park and a bank director. Then Malin A. Martin. He was the director of the Rockefeller Foundation and a former director of the Arkansas Department of Finance. Representative John Miller, he owned Miller Insurance Agency, Miller Real Estate, and he was a former Speaker of the House of Representatives. Senator Knox Nelson, Nelson Oil Company, he was the leader of the Arkansas Senate. And Bobby Hopper, Hopper Ford Dealerships and Chairman of the Arkansas Highway Department. Now, there are other leaders associated with us from Tennessee. Richard Keithley, attorney and former Tennessee Insurance Commissioner. Governor Winfield Dunn. He was an oral surgeon and former governor of the state. Mayor Richard Fulton, the Nashville, Tennessee mayor and a former congressman. Sam Bartholomew, Jr., attorney and national director of the Vietnam Veterans Association. Coach Johnny Majors, Tennessee Volunteers, and a Heisman Trophy runner-up, Football Hall of Fame, and Timmons Treadwell III, an insurance executive in Memphis, and Mayor Willie Harrington, Memphis, Tennessee, and W. Neal Thomas III, an attorney. So folks, this is a very impressive list of American leaders who all became good friends and business associates of a young kid who grew up in the state of Arkansas, raised by sharecropper parents who had only a ninth grade education. Now, it's inarguable that the more formal education you have, the greater your chances for success. There's no doubt about that. But it's also inarguable that without a college or even a high school degree, the sky is still the limit for what you can achieve with the right positive attitude, a burning desire, and a strong work ethic. So in summary... The determining factor of how smart a person is relates to the amount of education they have, both formal and practical experience. And when you want to be as smart as another individual, you must duplicate all the experiences they have had. Well, that is quite frankly impossible. So the best advice is to do as many things as you possibly can as well as you can. Because each new experience is like another degree in your education. Your formal education is just where your education starts. That's where it begins, and it never finishes. I have a relatively new friend by the name of Mr. Cecil Perkins, 
who is 91 years of age, and he has been fabulously successful in several businesses, and he thinks I am smart. And in reality, I'm not half as smart as he is. Maybe I will be when I'm 91. But he recently told me that he had learned more from me than he had his whole life. Now, he's, he's excited about it. He says, here I am at the end of my life, and I have learned so much from you that I wish I was only at the beginning of my life. Well, he is, what he is is proof that knowledge is exciting. So keep learning. Now, if you haven't read the book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill or The Success System That Never Fails by W. Clement Stone, then do so. You have exciting knowledge awaiting you. Now, W. Clement Stone was a student and a friend of Napoleon Hill. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have learned a lot today, and I hope you did too. Now, before we sign off, we want to remind you that if you are a conservative, then you will want to listen to the Old Glory Network podcast. But if you're not a conservative, then you really need to listen. And call your friends and your relatives and encourage them to listen. If you love America the way I do, then help us keep it. Now, you can order my son Kevin Dale Ahart's music on iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, or Amazon. And if you wish to order his CD called Cowboy's Revenge, well, you can just email me, Wayne Ahart, at weahart at gmail.com. Now, the CD has 11 great songs, original songs that he wrote, and it's only $15, and that includes free shipping. And by the way, Kevin has just released a new single called Sweet Ruby. It is awesome. It's about his new, brand new little daughter. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's no cost to you to subscribe and, and, and leave, if you would, a five-star review. Man, I would appreciate that. And visit our website at oldglorynetwork.com. That's oldglorynetwork.com. And happy trails, ladies and gentlemen, till we meet again next week. <laughs>